Thanks so much, uh, Lorraine. Great to keep that part of the Bible open uh, if we can. Uh, we're going to be working through chapter 6 as part of our ongoing series, uh, looking at Luke's Gospel, and um, it's been really helpful. A number of people have mentioned um, Christchurch, and we should uh, appropriately phrase our, uh, our time together today in light of that. Um, we have incredible safety here, don't we? We just have this sense that we're in a sanctuary, and we've come to meet with God, and uh, we need to be thankful for the peace, and we need to pray uh, in an ongoing way for that uh, community, both uh, inside the mosque and outside it. So thank you for those who've led us helpfully uh, in that. And we're going to use our peace and safety this morning uh, to get the most out of what Jesus has to say to us. And he will indeed uh, challenge us today, so I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in your great mercy, uh, there are places of sanctuary all over our country here and in New Zealand. Um, Father, we ask that in this place where Jesus is honoured and proclaimed, that you might help us to use this time set aside so that we might know and love and serve him well. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to, uh, I want to encourage you that the future needs to shape our present. As Christians, uh, we're very good, uh, literally and metaphorically, at looking behind us to the cross, right? We, we know that we need to work out who we are and how we go by looking to what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. So looking back is something that we do quite naturally. And what I want to suggest to you today is that we need to be people who look forward, that the future needs to shape our present. The only problem with that is typically we're not very good at that. Uh, Does anyone know what's happening next Saturday? There's an election. How many people are thoughtfully ready to cast that precious vote that they've been in? We just hope. So, I mean, look, uh, apparently we have the right to choose our government in our state. Isn't that a wonderful privilege? Anyway, it's about your future, but we don't, it's funny, isn't it? That is, it couldn't be more determinative of our future, and we are not very interested in it. Um, what about the dentist? Um, if I can say it this way, there is a dentist in your future. Um, it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? At some point, we're all going to end up in the dentist again. Uh, how will you meet the dentist? Well, it's, got a, it's got a lot to do with what you did this morning, uh, will do this evening, and there's no way to cheat it, right? You've either invested in being ready to meet the dentist or you'll have a nasty and costly surprise. Is that right? Absolutely, but well, not typically very interested in that. And what about retirement? Uh, people tell me that this happens to people. I, I'm waiting. Yep, yep, here we are. Peter and Joan back. Welcome. To ha- good to have you back, guys. Um, and, but the only problem with retirement, best I can tell, is that um, they're some of the busiest people I know. They need to have a holiday from retirement. Um, it's fascinating, isn't it? We, we put money aside. Uh, well, the government takes money from us for our future. But most of us don't spend too much time pondering it. The, the future seems to be uh, an unknown out there somewhere. And as I like to tell my boy, I don't, I don't use the kids very often in the, the sermons, but I like to tell my boy that present Zaki, oh, sorry, present, yeah, present Zaki hates future Zaki. In other words, present Zaki is always making decisions that throw future Zaki under the bus, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do my homework now, I don't care that future Zaki will lose an iPad. I don't mind, it's not a problem. Okay, so present Zaki throws future Zaki under the bus all the time because the future's not real, it doesn't exist for us. And what I want you to see today is that there is a future that's coming and it's real and it needs to shape our today. 
Have a look with me at this verse from Philippians chapter 3. In it, Paul writes about the people who don't know Jesus. And he talks about their future in this way. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. What he means by this is there's a group of people running around outside whose primary motivation, the thing that they're serving, is their appetites and their desires. Whatever you want, that's your God. Put that first. Seek that now. You can have 60 months interest-free because you need it today. Yeah? That's our world around it. And it says it's it's not an easy choice. If you make that decision, then destruction is your future. Their mind, it says, is set on earthly things. There's a famous story about Jacob and Esau. Do you remember Jacob and Esau? And uh, Jacob is the younger son and Esau is the older son. And because he's the older son, he's going to inherit everything. But one day he comes in from the fields and he's got terrible hunger pains. And he says, give me some soup because his brother's made some soup. And he goes, I'll give you some soup if you give me your inheritance. He goes, what good is my inheritance if I die of hunger? Give me the soup. And so he trades away his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And just so we're clear, that's not a very good exchange. Somebody lost in that equation. But that is what our world is doing all the time. We're trading the inheritance of life with God for the satisfaction of our passing appetites and desires. It's a terrible exchange. So the Bible says that the world has their God as their stomach. But listen to the way it speaks to the church. These are beautiful words. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. You see, we have a destiny too, and we have a true home and a true future. And what Jesus is going to tell us today, he's going to tell us a whole bunch of ways to live today. But sitting underneath that, is a profound set of realities that we need to grapple with this morning. I want you to imagine that the present is this side of the bridge here, okay? And the future is way away on the other side of the bridge. God, the immutable, unchangeable, all-powerful God, is the one who connects the future to the present. He's the one who links them together, okay? And So we need to start with the understanding that God is sovereign. It means he's the king. He's in charge. He is unshakably guiding the present into the future. The problem is, as clear as that is, the problem is that sin obscures the future. Sin condenses down our horizon to, I'm hungry, I need to be satisfied now. Sin robs us of the future and causes us to doubt the sovereignty of God. But this is not permanent. So when the the fog rolls in in San Francisco, does the bridge cease to exist? You just can't see it today. Does the other side cease to exist? No, you just can't see it today. And so this situation is not permanent. The fog will burn away. But what Jesus does when he comes is he brings the kingdom into the present. Jesus comes and brings the future glory of God with all of its healing, all of its power, all of its teaching. And he crosses the bridge to us and stands in our midst and says, I will tell you of what is to come. Are you with me? And he offers something that is accessible to the needy, 
It's accessible to the needy, to those who know they need more than just what's on this side of the bridge. Those who long, who hunger, he says, I've got something from the future for you right here today. And the reason that's awesome news is because one day, one day, it will be brought in full on the final day. One day, on the final day, the kingdom will come in full. We won't just see it in part. The whole of the goodness of God will be made known to those who are trusting in him. And it's true today, however obscured it is by quite literally rain and fog out there, but metaphorically by sin for us. And so Jesus said uh, uh, back in chapter 5 that he had come not to the healthy, The healthy don't need a doctor, he says, but to the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, those who are full of their own goodness. He says, I didn't come to call them. I came to call sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. That's what he's bringing. And so therefore, we're going to strike this word blessed in uh, in the text. And I want to tell you that blessed isn't happy. Blessed doesn't equal happy. You may feel happy and say you're blessed, but that's not the way that Jesus is using it here, okay? Blessed doesn't equal happy. What it means, blessed, to be receiving of the goodness of God is an understanding of the present favor before God in light of the future realities. So I feel differently today, not because of what I can see, but because the promises of God assure me of something different that is coming my way. So I don't have to go and ask my stomach, am I blessed today? I ask my Bible, am I blessed today? Are you with me? Because here are the promises of God, the future assured for you and for me. And so we come to understand the experience today differently because of the tomorrow that God has made known. Well, let's pick up the, uh, the account that's been read for us. We look at... Uh, Jesus is about to choose some disciples. And uh, as he makes these choices, I want you to see how he does it. Have a look with me at verses 12 and following. In those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, that's the south, from Jerusalem, further south, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon to the north, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. This is an awesome scene, isn't it? It's a crowd from all over Israel that have come together. And I want you to see that from this crowd, Jesus draws disciples. Now, guys, if there was anyone who could have just shot from the hip and gone, I'll have you and you and you and you and you and you, and it probably would have been a wise and good decision, it would have been... Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, probably was going to make good choices. But how did he make this choice? He spent the evening, the whole night, in prayerful, intimate dependence on God. You know, when we have to make big decisions, we say, we should pray about that. And we go, dear God, help me make a good decision. And I, want to, I just want to challenge you. 
And, and I, if we have more time, I'd tell you my, my personal story with this. But I want to challenge you. When we make these huge decisions, do we seek God? Or do we just punch a little number into the checkout machine and hope it spits out a receipt for us? Because the Son of God on earth spent the entire night praying before he chose the disciples. How much more us with the weighty decisions of our life? When he does, though, it's a pretty motley crew, isn't it? One of them's called a zealot. He's a revolutionary uh, kind of wanting to overthrow the Romans and and get rid of the, the tax system. He's also got a tax collector as part of the crew. That's pretty awkward, isn't it? Uh, He's got some brothers. It's a motley group that Jesus calls together after he's praying, including, did you notice at the end, somebody called Judas, who is a, yeah, that'll mess with your head for a while. But he calls him and makes him part of the group. And I want you to see what an incredibly powerful impact the ministry of Jesus was happening. Imagine you were there, power was coming out from him and healing all the people, and so they're pressing forward to touch him. It's a wild scene. And in this setting, Jesus goes to speak and he looks at his disciples, a smaller section, we suspect, of the larger crowd. And we're going to see Jesus talk about blessed. And he's going to talk about the fact that it's possible to know the favour of God on this side of the bridge, even when it doesn't feel like happy times. Have a listen. Look with me at verses 20 and following. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you when you weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Now, I want you to note with me, okay, this is really important, It's not blessed to be poor. It's not actually a wonderful, awesome experience to be poor. It's not awesome to be hungry. Come and see my house at afternoon tea time. It is not a blessing to be hungry, all right? However, he says you're blessed because because that state of life, that poverty, that hunger makes you dependent. And dependency opens you up to the kingdom of God. Because those who are satisfied, who look on Jesus and say, I've got everything I need and I'm judging whether you're a good teacher, they don't have any chance of entering the kingdom. Need opens us up to dependency and dependency is the path to the kingdom. I want you to see that the great reversal is coming. You hunger now, but you will be satisfied. You weep now, but you will rejoice. That is an extraordinary thing. We need to trust that the other side of the bridge exists and it's coming. And when it says here that uh, you can rejoice in the day that people speak ill of you and exclude you, it better be about Jesus. If I can put this frankly, um, people might be excluding you and hating you because you're a jerk. Possible, right? It's possible. It says that there's no blessing if you're a jerk and people hate you. That, that isn't a blessed state. But if people hate you for the name of Jesus, you can be blessed today because great is your reward in heaven. But I want you to notice, does it feel good to be rejected? Does it feel good when people hate you and exclude you? No. But I want you to see how powerful this future is. He says, rejoice when? In that day. On the day that happens, you're to let the future surety change even how you feel about that day. Do you see? 
We rejoice because great is our reward in heaven and it is certain. That's wild, guys. That's actually letting the future change our emotion in the present because we are so rock solid sold out on the future that God has for us. Now, there are a group of people who aren't blessed. But I want you to today, uh, this look a nice dining room. I want you to come and join me on the dining room. I'm inviting you. Come, come and join me in the dining room of the top level of the Titanic. Now, you've been promoted. You're rich, aren't you? Come and join with me. Eat the finest of fare on a ship that's going down. Woe to you who is rich is what Jesus is about to say. There is a future for the rich and it's in the icy cold water that's coming up. Have a look at verses 24 and following. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you when you're well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for that's how the ancestors treated the false prophets. There's a really interesting set of things here. I want you to see riches are fine, right? Riches are fine. But the problem is wealth inoculates us against dependence on God. Because when everything hits the fan, when everything goes terribly wrong, we turn to our bank balance and think how we can get out of it. We don't fall, first of all, to our knees and go, God have mercy. Our first thought is, how do I resource my way out of this? Wealth can inoculate us against dependence on God. The other thing I want you to see that it says, woe to you when you, when you laugh, because you're, you're mourning. You think, I like laughing. Laughing's good. We should do some today, right? Good. Laugh away. But here's the thing. If all you have is laughing, you will lack depth. The people that we really respect, the people who we look up to are the people who've been shaped, their character has been carved in adversity and hardship. So if all you have is laughter, woe to you, for you will mourn on the final day. Whose praise are we seeking? It says that, woe to you when people speak well of you. I'd like people to speak well of me. The problem is, those people who speak well of you are on the same deck, a seat away from you, and when the boat goes down, we're all going to be pretty wet. What you want is the Heavenly Father to speak well of you. That's the approval that we should be seeking. It's a pretty interesting uh, set of things to say, isn't it? Uh, you're not going to hear that on the, uh, the morning TV, are you? You ready for this again? Just listen. I want you to put me on the stage. You know, I'm on, I'm on TV now. And I'm going to say, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people speak well doesn't work, does it? We want to turn all those around. You will be rich. You will be well-fed. You will be, everyone will love you. Join God. This is Jesus speaking, guys, and he wants to speak hard words to us today, which is not to say that the other things can't come, but if you're trusting in them, they'll all sink with you. Jesus then goes on to apply it, and he says, here's how we're to live. We're to live differently to other people around us. And he's going to talk about enemies. And I was thinking about the, uh, the two Koreas, which are currently divided by a massive wall. And I don't know if you know, but the Korean War never ended. Hasn't been a cessation of hostilities. It's still a war zone. They are enemies. Have a listen to what Jesus says to us about our enemies. The woe to you. Sorry, I'm carried away on the woes, aren't I? 
Uh, but to you who are listening, I say, listen to Jesus, he's amazing. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I don't know if you've got real enemies. Do you have real enemies? Some of you would think, I hope I don't have an enemy in the world, and and I certainly would hope that too. But we don't always get to choose that. Sometimes enemies choose us. Do you have a real enemy? And if you do, how do you respond to them? Do you respond to them in a truly godly way? Is there a distinctly Christian mark to the way that you are doing it? We, we could think through this thing about pacifism and justice. Should there ever be justice in the world? Well, the answer to that is clearly Jesus wants there to be justice in the world because he's bringing it on the final day. So what about this slapping of cheeks? Turn the other cheek and all that. One thing first. He's not speaking about domestic violence. We don't want anyone here to understand this text to say that you should put up with or endure domestic violence. We want you to be safe and it is never appropriate to be the receiver of physical injury in your home. That being said, what Jesus is trying to say is, if someone slaps you on the cheek, you don't generally go, thank you very much. What's our typical response? If someone someone was to slap you on the cheek, our response would be to add the number of slaps, right? We would go, you've slapped me. I'm going to slap you. Although typically, if someone just slaps you randomly on the cheek, it won't be the slap back. It'll be this one, won't it? So when we go back this way, right, now we've got a slap and we've added a punch. What do you think happens after that? We go, oh, thank you very much. I believe we're even. Will that happen? It won't. And so it escalates endlessly. And what Jesus is saying here is not that we're to be pathetic lumps But the way to be peacemakers, we let the injustice fall on us, be slapped and bear it, so that it might not escalate into warfare. Are you with me? It's an act of love. It's an act of strength to restrain. And so we get this beautiful golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. And if we live that way, guess what? It'd be a decent world, wouldn't it? It'd be a decent world. Now, Jesus is talking to us about being profoundly different to the world around us. I don't know if you've seen this picture before. It's a bunch of people at a shipyard, uh, and they are saluting in a particular way uh, a particular gentleman, which you can tell on the screen who that is. Now, when, when we talk about difference, I want you to see this man here. His name is August Landmesser, and they found this after the photo was taken, right? So the photo's taken, it's up. And there's one bloke standing there going, I am not saluting. Only one bloke. His wife was a Jew who would end up going to a concentration camp. And this man's decision, in the midst of all of that euphoria, and what, is just standing there going, you know what? I don't know you anything. And I am not saluting you. When we say that we're supposed to live differently to the world, it is this kind of act. It is not going with the flow. It is standing profoundly different to the world around us. And I want you to see what difference looks like in the verses that follow here. Have a look with me at verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, 
what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Guys, there is some incredible stuff in here. I want you to see that there is no credit in heaven for being decent. There's no credit in heaven for being decent. You love your friends. Good on you. You are no different to any garden variety pagan out there. That's perfectly normal and good. But you're not specially Christian by doing so. There's nothing distinctive about loving your family or loving your friends. Even the pagans do that. Even sinners do that is the words on Jesus' lips. No, no, no. What's distinctly different is that we would love our enemies. And when he says that, it's not just writing them a card. He actually says to do good to them. See, a bunch of us know enough in our heads to know, all right, I'm not supposed to smash my enemy back in the face, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit on my hands and watch them suffer. But I'm godly because I'm not hitting them back. And Jesus says something incredibly challenging. I feel the weight of it. He says that to love your enemies is to do good to them. That is a step towards not with aggression, but with love, to do good. And guys, anyone who thinks this is easy, it's, it's, it's really tough. It's tough stuff. And we're supposed to bear the image of our Father. Do, do you see this? Be merciful, verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's extraordinary, isn't it? If you lived this way, if you and I lived this way, something amazing would happen. I want you to see the difference between Abraham and Jesus. When, when God said to Abraham, hey, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then Jesus turns up and he says, actually, what I want you to do is to love your enemies and to bless instead of curse. Do you see this difference? So when you receive curse, don't pour curse back. Jesus cuts that in half and says, no, no, no. I want you to do something totally radical. I want you to bless in place of curse. Is anyone head spinning? Why, why would we do that? That's the traditional way that the world works. This is a truly radical, right way up world. Right way up world. The apprentice will always like to be like his master eventually. Have a look with me at verses 37 and following. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Well, who's your teacher, church? You know the answer here. We'll do it again, right? Because we'll just edit that out for the podcast, right? So they don't, they don't hear. Uh, who's your teacher, church? Fantastic. Very good. Okay. So what we want to think about is how do we look like Jesus? How are we like Jesus? What's the measure I use? It says, with the measure I use, it'll be measured back to me. So am I stingy? Am I generous? With the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. 
And, and if, if you're not following Jesus, if you weren't able to say, Jesus is my teacher, then I want to say, whoever is your teacher, can they see? Or are they blind guides on the deck of the Titanic leading you both? Anyway, whatever, you, whatever the metaphor will break down. But, but here's the thing. If you're not following Jesus, they don't have an idea where they're leading you. And I want to think with you, is the cross shaping you? So when we say we're apprentices to Jesus, you know when Jesus was nailed to the cross, when he was nailed to the cross, he looked down from the cross and some of his last words was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus being physically nailed to the cross can offer forgiveness, how much more you and I who claim him as our master? I want to suggest today that how we respond is a theology test. And you're like, come on, how is it a theology test? You know, you, you know, I don't want a theology test. Well, I want to tell you what it is. And what it's testing is how you think you're saved by God. You see, there's a way that says we are saved by works. We are scaling the way up to God one handhold at a time. We are working to save ourselves by our good works. Or alternatively, we're saved by grace where we go, I can't ever earn my forgiveness. I can never wash these hands clean. I receive what Jesus has done with thankfulness as a gift. And the reason this matters is because if I am not expecting, if I think that no mercy has been received by me, I'm winning heaven myself, then you won't show mercy to others. I had to earn it. You've got to earn it off me. If on the other hand, we say that we've been saved by grace, if mercy has been received by us, then we are expected to show mercy to others. Are you with me? And we'll never do it if we think we're saved by our good works. But if you and I realize that it's an utterly undeserved gift from God, how much more shall we show it to others? So how does God find us today? Is future grace real to you? Is future grace real? Is the other side the future that God has prepared for you, is it real? And, and when you kind of half-heartedly say, oh, I guess it is, yeah, it's Sunday morning, I guess it's all right. Here's the thing. If it's not real, it'll never change the way you respond in these hard circumstances. Will it? I heard a nice idea that there's a, there's a future, some maybe, but and then someone does something terrible. Someone slaps you on the face and our response is, I am going to smash you back. And guys, that is the world speaking, and that is not Jesus. And so I want to ask you, is the future real to you? And if it is, is today being shaped by tomorrow? Do you live differently? Do you feel differently? Do you experience differently today? Because tomorrow is so real that it changes today. Are we recognizably sons and daughters of the kingdom? When people see us, would they know that we are people of the kingdom of God. In fact, I want to ask, what would it look like? Here are we on our side of the bridge, steering off into the future that Jesus is revealing to us. What would it look like if you and I embodied living this way? If this was a church where when somebody let me down, when somebody hurt me, when somebody spoke a word that might have been ill thought out, we don't respond with passive aggression and withdrawal. We don't respond by speaking behind, we, we don't do any of that. In fact, we act in a godly way. We step towards with blessing and love and forgiveness. What would this place look like? 
Who wouldn't want to be a part of this? Are you with me? And what would we look like to the world who is happy to smash back when we're wronged? If we were people who carried the kingdom values out into the world beyond here. Because that's exciting to me. And it's incredibly costly. But we have in Jesus these words. But you are listening, he says, love your enemies. Do good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Brothers and sisters, if we do that, we would truly be living a new life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have revealed in your Son that you love the wicked and the unmerciful. Father, you have shown grace to us, and I pray that we wouldn't stockpile that grace up, but we would learn with all sorts of trembling and mistakes to offer forgiveness and love and reconciliation in place of the hurts and wounds of this world. Father, so convince us of the future that we would make radical, world-changing decisions today because we're sold out for the beautiful promises you hold for us in glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.